1: This episode of Quick to Listen is brought to you in part by Classic Christian Thinkers, the new book by author and theologian Kenneth Samples. It highlights the lives of some of Christianity's greatest historical figures. Get your copy today by visiting www.reasons.org slash quick to listen.
2: Today is Wednesday, June 26th, and you're listening to Quick to Listen where each week we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. And today we will be talking about how the US's trade war with China is affecting the world of Christian publishing. I'm Morgan Lee, associate digital media producer here at Christianity Today. I'm joined by my co-host, Mark Galley, who has actually been to one of the places that we'll be talking about today, which is China. So have I. But that's going to be something cool, huh?
3: Yeah. Looking forward to
2: All right. Who are we bringing in to?
3: Our uh, guest today is Stan Jantz. He's executive director of the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association. And he's worked in the Christian book industry for his entire professional life and is a co-author of some 60 books, many of which have become bestsellers. So we're really grateful to have him on the show. He's uh, he's definitely an expert in this field. So welcome, Stan.
1: Thank you, Mark and Morgan. That's a great pleasure to be with you today on this important topic.
2: Okay, I have a less important question, Stan. What was your parents' idea in giving you a name that rhymed? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, my mother uh,
1: called me Stanley. So maybe that was more less, you know, <laughs> duplication there. So, but only, only her and occasionally my wife still call me that. So, yeah, I kind of like it. It kind of flows real nice, Stan Jan. So, you know, can't help it, but I like it.
2: No, I mean, I, you can definitely like it and I'm a fan of it too. Sometimes I just wonder about like, you know, not uh, like you would have special insight on your parents, right? It's really the parents that you right. to ask thought an inquire anyway. Well, I'm really glad that you can join us. Yeah, I think this is going to be an important conversation.
3: Actually, he, he, he should tell our listeners where he's calling us from because that's kind of, it's pretty relevant.
2: Yeah, where are you, Stan?
1: I'm in Chicago and I'm at the on the campus of Moody Bible Institute and my association, ECPA, uh, Evangelical Christian Publishers Association. We are hosting an international rights fair. So, Uh, In publishing, uh, the publisher owns the rights to the work, uh, to the book, and they have then the option to sell those rights for foreign language translation or even in English to be uh, exported to other countries. And so we have, even as I speak, we have about 28 publishers from the U.S. who are meeting with uh, about 75 publishers uh, internationally. So it's like a it's a mini Christian United Nations going on here, and it's, it's very exciting. And I'm thrilled to do it. The conference is going on today and tomorrow. And uh, so the world has come to Chicago today, at least for publishing purposes.
2: Well, and I actually think I'll be asking you a couple questions about this conference because we definitely want to broach kind of the global scope of Christian publishing. And so it'll be cool to have you be able to kind of report in real time about what you're seeing there. So I do want to get into the main point of our conversation today. In the United States' trade war against China, the weapon of choice has been tariffs. For its next round, the Trump administration has proposed a 25% tariff on $300 billion of Chinese goods. This would include Bibles and Christian books. What many listeners may not realize, however, is that despite its deserved reputation as a place of religious repression, China is also the world's largest Bible publisher thanks to Nanjing-based Amity Press, which has printed almost 200 million Bibles since 1988 in partnership with the United Bible Societies. So according to our story that we published on this last week, the world's largest Christian publisher, which is HarperCollins Christian Publishing, more than three quarters of their costs are incurred in China. In a hearing before the Trade Commission on Tuesday, CEO Mark Schoenwald argued that the proposed tariffs were f- will force HarperCollins Christian Publishing to increase its prices, reduce its sales volume, and discontinue some Bible edition. Tyndale House's CEO, Mark Taylor, who appeared on the podcast earlier this year, also testified, as did Stan, our guest today. After making the case for a religious exemption, Christian publishers now await the decision of the trade representatives, who may announce their decision before this week's G20 summit, where Trump is expected to personally discuss a trade deal with China's President Xi Jinping. This week on Quick to Listen, we want to discuss how the American Christian publishing industry became a global business and how China became the country of choice for Bible publishers. All right, Mark, I would love to get your opinion on this particular story.
3: My gut reaction? I thought it was an interesting wrinkle. I hadn't put two and two together uh, when it was announced uh, that uh, Trump was threatening tariffs. Uh, I have been to China. I have actually been to Amity Press. I have seen pile, of when I was, the thing that surprised me when I went there was uh, seeing uh, stacks of books. It was either a book about Hillary Clinton or by Hillary Clinton, as well as stacks of Bibles in English. You don't expect that when you're in the middle of China. So I hadn't put that two and two together, and it wasn't until we did our news story that I realized, oh my gosh, So this, this isn't just a uh, foreign policy story. This is also a Christian publishing story. So... It's more of an area of interest. I mean, in, I'll be interested to see how it works itself out, whether a religious exemption is going to work for this sort of deal.
2: This is also intriguing to me. And I think eye-opening in the same way, again, about, you know, lots of American products saying made in China on them. I'm not sure if I've ever seen a Bible that said made in China on it. And
3: of course, you never, nobody ever looks at the, the page that would say that. Okay. But it would be interesting to now go through my Bibles and see which ones have said that. Hey, Stan, is that a, is that a typical uh, pr- uh, procedure? If a book is actually printed in China, is it mentioned on, in, somewhere in the Bible?
1: I don't, I've never seen that either, Mark. I, I agree with you. Now I'm going to go back to my Bible and find out, you know, the, the ones I have. So I don't, I don't know that. And, and of course, the, here's a little distinction, too. It's funny. The word publish Simply means to make public. So you can, and depending on whether it's a, you know a printed book or a, an ebook or even an audio book, you're publishing content. What they're actually doing in China is printing. Uh, Bibles. and But still, they're goods that they do produce. So whether it's, uh, you know, some kind of a, a, a Chotsky that, that is sold at, uh, you know, Walmart, or it's a Bible sold, you know, here in the U.S. So they, they manufacture, I guess that'd be another way, way to say it. And Amity, I, that is a huge, huge uh, uh, printer there that does that. So, but the publishers, and you mentioned HarperCollins Christian, they work so closely with these printers uh, in China that, They've developed this this ongoing working relationship that probably started in the '80s, and I know Mark, uh, shown all as you mentioned said they've been actually working for two decades very closely to develop not just the technique of of actually publishing uh, printing Bibles, but also uh, the whole process that goes into it, the packaging and all of that. So it's a it's a really big part of of Christian publishing, especially in the Bible world, but also any four color work that is done. That's, so children's books, children's book is in the general publishing market is probably the fastest growing and the most robust right now because millennials are having children and the books that are being uh, produced, uh, written, and then, you know, published and, and printed are, are colorful. They have a lot of, sometimes they've had stickers in them and other things that attract kids. And uh, that's a complicated procedure. And again, China has developed uh, techniques And they have the skilled labor to pull this off. Uh, There's a lot of handwork that goes into it. If you have a Bible that's maybe a special edition, all that stitching on the cover, the leather. Of course, the pages are very thin just to make a 2,000-page book, uh, something you can carry around in your hand rather than trucking in in a cart behind you. So they have developed these special techniques, technologies, printing presses, but also the skilled labor. Uh, And uh, here in the U.S., we lack the capacity to do that uh, and to do it at the scale, the economic scale that China has been able to do.
2: So when Mark and I were originally discussing doing this idea, we talked about how in the early days of Christian publishing at least it seemed like it was a family affair back then. And, of course, as I mentioned, that we had Mark Taylor on the show. Mark Taylor is the CEO of Tyndale, and his family is the family that developed the Living Bible. So Tyndale, in many ways, was a family company.
3: So is, was uh, Erdman's, as I understand, Baker Books, as I understand? There might be others as well that Stan would know.
2: Yeah, Crossway,
1: they're uh, there in, in uh, Wheaton. Um, so yes, many Harvest House. There are many uh, companies, publishing companies, started with with family and still are uh, in you know family business um, uh, business con- uh, frameworks. And then you have ministry. You have ministry publishers like Moody Press is uh, is an arm of Moody Bible Institute, University uh, Press. Of course, these are all Chicago places. And also denominations. Uh, B and Publishing Group is a part of the Southern Baptist. So and then you have independent you know, publishers that have risen up or who are owned by uh, larger conglomerate companies. Um, And that's something that's kind of recent in the history of Christian publishing.
2: All right. So you see these families and when they're initially trying to actually produce the tangible object, the books in this case, or the Bibles more specifically, who are they going to and how are they actually going about to produce them?
1: Well, the print, there have been, at least there's many printers uh, here in, in the US and in, in the Chicago land where we are. Some of the larger presses are here. And uh, so I think, you know, when you, you, Tyndale is a good example. Tyndale Publishing House and people know the Living Bible and the New Living Translation. And as a family, it began with Ken Taylor, who translated or paraphrased the Bible into the, the, the Living Bible. You know, they developed, obviously, relationships with printers here to get their editions printed. But what's happened? Is that Bibles have become so, in terms of their design and the complexity of it, with you know, pages and maps, and obviously the study Bibles have kind of running little notes and commentary, and, and there's just more and more to it. And they, so, the, as you do that, the expense goes up, the covers get a little bit fancier, and they'll do affinity Bibles for certain groups. And so, over time, all the publishers found that in China. They found that there were printers that could do this and were very, very amenable to the different techniques that they were you know bringing into the Bible publishing. There are still obviously a lot of Bibles printed here in the u s, but a lot of it is just the scale and the cost. Um, that that the printed Bibles printed in China offer. And one of the questions that's come up, and this came from the U.S. trade representative uh, that you cited, Morgan, in these hearings that are going on last week and this week, is, well, what about the working conditions in these printing uh, houses in China? And Mark, you were there in Amity, so I don't know, you weren't there to inspect working conditions, but Part Collins christian um uh, Mark Schoenwald, made a very I, I think a real clear statement that they do monitor and they're over there and they see the kind of conditions they have and he said that they actually are paid higher the wages for the the workers in the chinese printers uh, paid higher than other industries that would be parallel to them, so they feel real comfortable that the that the working conditions in china that are are very fair and and equitable so um so that's you know something that is, and it's the irony is, of course, is that China none of the, if any, few, if any of those Bibles are end up in China. They all are exported mostly to the U.S., but all around the world. But then we want to get Bibles back into China, so right, they'd have to come back through different agencies, whether it's a, a Bible Society or a publisher.
3: So you're talking about scale. My my impression is that Christian publishing was a modest enterprise even up through the 1950s. When did it sort of explode to the to the point where uh, issues of scale became something that publishers had to start, Christian publishers had to start thinking about. It, it would give us a, uh, kind of a sign of when Christian publishing really came on the scene in a lot of ways.
1: Right. So, uh, we've mentioned the Living Bible. The Living Bible, which which came out in the early 70s, was probably the be- the first kind of popular level Bible. And if any of your, you know, your podcast listeners, who you have, I've got one. It was a green kind of padded cover. I still have one. Oh,
3: yeah. I and that. It,
1: Little Crinkle, that was the first one. And so and if you remember the reason the Living Bible even took off, it was before it was an entire Bible. But Billy Graham featured living letters in one of his crusades. Yeah, we
3: ordered and just, some of those in my family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: It just exploded, and so then eventually Ken Taylor finished the whole Bible, and it was printed. It was about 1972. A little before that, about two years before that, was a little book called Lake Great Planet Earth
3: Ah, that
1: uh, became probably—I think it was among the best-selling books of the decade. I mean, really the first time you're seeing books sell in the millions— uh, that was the book that introduced, I think, the world but, but to. But never Christian appeared
3: books. on the New York Times bestseller list, from what I understand. <laughs> you're right.
1: You're right. It was, yeah, and, but it outsold
3: was... everything on the New York Times bestseller list. But they refused to put it there. So there you go. Yeah,
1: they didn't. They, they didn't know what to do with it. So, so that really started to answer your question. Kind of this, this kind of modern era of Christian publishing. And so you had the independent family-owned businesses that then started discovering writers. And you had, as that decade unfolded, you had uh, Born Again by Charles Colson. If you recall that book in 1976, that was from Chosen Books, which is a division now of Baker a Publishing Group. And then Chuck Swindoll started writing books that became very popular. And and so it was really kind of driven yeah, by personalities and people who had ministries that then found a wider and wider audience. And so it really just con- continued to grow. Uh, right through the 80s and and 90s, and uh, even in the 2000s. And then, of course, in the 90s and there, Amazon came along, which even brought all books to an even greater audience, but it it kind of undermined retail, Christian brick-and-mortar retail. So you had a little adjustment there. And so you just – and now, of course, with the advent of technology and the iPhone and and really what I call the distraction of our age – uh, you know, finding readers is, is more difficult than ever, although there are still breakout books. And most recently, probably this year, uh, last year was, uh, which is this book from Thomas Nelson called girl, wash your face, which became an international bestseller. And I think was only, uh, exceeded in sales in 2018 by Michelle Obama's book becoming. So there are still books from Christian publishers that kind of hit that, that, you know, that kind of mark. I should also a, line, a landmark book that was published in the '90s, uh, Purpose-Driven Life, uh, did a lot to encourage and to bring awareness. And, and I think it was that book that probably uh, led to, or was not not led to, but it kind of opened the door for Harper Collins to purchase Zondervan. And that was the first time that we saw in the Christian publishing world that you had a uh, a, a company that had again started as a family-owned business and uh, was run that way, and then is purchased by. A, a larger, what we call a New York house. That was HarperCollins purchasing Zonervan. What What was great uh, about that is that they left Zondervan alone. It let them do what they do best. And, and interestingly enough, as we've talked about Bibles, so Zonervan publishes the new international version, the NIV. Uh, the, now, the rights to that NIV are held by Biblica, which was formerly the International Bible Society. And you mentioned, Mark, Amity Press. So Biblica was also uh, a test, a test gave testimony. I actually gave it on their behalf in Washington last week because their CEO is traveling internationally. But so Biblica is owns a license for the new international version, which is the world's most popular version. And they have 72% of their Bibles are printed at Amity in China. And so for them, they give everything away. So it's not a matter of, oh gosh, are we going to have to increase prices? No, they give every Bible away. So for them to have a 25% increase means they, have, they can give away fewer Bibles, they, you know, if they're going to maintain the budget that they currently have. So, so this goes beyond publishing companies and goes to ministries and Bible societies as well that use these printers in China for the, the Bibles that they distribute.
3: Just as a side note, I just have to say that I want listeners to be aware that I'm going to publish a book, Guys, Shave Your Face, hoping to... Catch the tail end yeah. of that.
1: <laughs> you want you want all these hipster beards to go exactly, away. Exactly. Huh? Okay. Yeah.
2: Sounds very Look, in, in line, line with hyg- Mark's it, brand. <laughs> hey, hey Mark,
1: if for no other reason, it's for hygiene, right? There you, you go. Know, for what? Go, yeah, yeah. So, okay. I, th- I think I can find you a, a publisher for that.
3: Okay, we're set. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's so, great. I love it.
2: As you guys are talking about it, it seems that. Amity has a corner on the market with regards to working with Christian publishers. Stan, I don't know if you could give us a brief history of how that came to be and if there were other rivals or businesses that Christian publishers were working with either in China or in other countries that yeah, were present at the beginning.
1: Right. I don't know the the details of how that relationship formed. I know there were there were some ministries already Uh, ZDL Publishing. That is a publisher in China. Um, I used to work with Gospelite uh, publications, and they had a a strong—the family that owned Gospelite had a strong connection to China and a real interest in publishing. And, And it's possible to publish in China. Now, the government controls all the ISBN numbers. An ISBN number is your international standard book number. So every book, it's a nine-digit number that that every book has, and it's a way of identifying those, and it's kept track. And you, Library of Congress has it, and all that. But in in China, they regulate and they look at every single book that they would then run through, and it's controlled. It's kind of like the 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 state church. You know, there is a there is a Christian church that the government you know oversees. Uh, and then there's the underground church, so you kind of have this, you know, printing and publishing that goes on there. And as far as the printing, you know, so Amity is a little different because they're not publishing in, in the sense that they're distributing in China as ZDL does, but they are printing these books. So how that came about, Morgan? That's a great question. I'm I'm learning a little bit more. I do know that Mark Schoenwald from H, uh, HarperCollins Christian, they've been working there for about uh, again about 20 years. I, I, I don't know if they use other publishers besides amity and, and i'm I'm assuming there probably are some other publishing options there, but they are certainly the biggest and I think it just came about because uh, like Mark, there were people going over there and seeing what they were doing and China is enterprising and uh, you know so just strictly on a business level to bring uh, revenues and the Chinese government to to build the the economic uh, conditions in China. And I was talking with the gentleman last night that says really over a period of 12 years, they went from almost a third world country to a, you know, a first world country just because they allowed kind of a free enterprise capitalistic system controlled by the government. And I think the printing presses that they have there are part of that to really bring in revenue to China and to uh, help just kind of raise the economic conditions of, of working people.
3: It's an interesting paradox that China, which uh, limits the I don't think they completely forbid the distribution of Bibles in China. At least the last time I was there, that was the case. But they severely limit the number of Bibles that are published in China for the Chinese. But it's interesting that they're willing to publish millions and millions of Bibles, which contain a worldview that's antithetical to their own, and spread them out for the world. Now, obviously, the that's often true in, in, in businesses. One does business with people one doesn't necessarily agree with, but... Uh, so I think that's an interesting paradox though that they're making bibles available for the rest of the world but not for their own people.
1: And you've got to think that god has kind of a little bit of a sense of humor in this, you know. I mean, I don't mean that it, it, maybe it's you know not quite that way, but you've got this country that that you know t- is is typically a, an atheistic country and yet christianity is the fastest growing religion in China over atheism or buddhism. 10% growth is what I have the Pew Pew research uh, shows. And it, you've all seen these numbers that in the, by the 20, you know, 30, 20, 35, there will be more Christians in China than here in the U S even. So there's this, there's this paradox of control and the yet, you know, now it's, is it because they're printing Bibles? Probably not, but it, it's certainly God is doing a work in this country and there are, you know, there's a movement of Christians Uh, in China and a great desire, you know, in that country for, for the gospel. So it is, yeah. And so, yeah, why not? Why, why wouldn't they print? And, and, uh, and again, it's, it's for, for a lot of publishers in the U.S., I think, especially the Bible publishers, yes, it's a, it's a business proposition because they can get great work done at a, at a price that then enables them to sell a beautiful study Bible with, with color and a nice cover for about 50 bucks, you know, and if you, had to, even if you could find a, a printer that could do that here in the U.S., you would probably double your price for that. So, uh, so that's the dilemma. Is these, these tariffs now are going to, you know, either add cost to it or create force publishers to look elsewhere. And they've done that. And in fact, at the test at the hearing, uh, Mark Schonwald said that Harper Collins Christian worked for two years, and and he said they spent millions of dollars to develop a printing relationship in Colombia. And they just, after two years, they just had to abandon that project because they couldn't get uh, the right workers and the right technology and process to, to pre, you know, produce the kind of bibles they want. And again, I've talked to, to, there's a, you know, there's a printers association here in the U.S. And there's a real, there's a shortage of skilled workers in the printing industry here in the U.S., so that's you know you think it's all machines. but you need you need people who know what they're doing and have that dedication and and skill, the and really the artistry in some regard you know to print something that is going to be going be a beautiful uh, result. And so it's there's a shortage of that in the U S. but but not in China. So it's it's just it's just interesting. And we're it's a globalized world obviously. And, and publishing is as I said we've got. Probably 20 countries here represented here in Chicago. They're from Nigeria, Australia, South Africa, South Korea, Scandinavia, India, Brazil, Colombia, uh, Eastern Europe. You know, it's, it, what's going on in the Global South is pretty astounding, but it's other other places as well. Uh, and I think that, to me, is an indication of and, and printed material. Is such a key and always has been. My dad. I grew up in a family that owned a chain of Christian retail bookstores back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Well, what was the chain? It was called. Yeah, it was in Central California called Fresno Bible House. Oh my gosh!
3: Oh my gosh! I and bought many a book there.
1: Oh, fantastic! I lived well, there for a year. Uh, yeah. that how about that? that was my family. Yeah. And uh, but my dad had some great sayings, but one of the one of the great sayings that I think is is absolutely true. He said, Every movement needs materials. Even God wrote a book. So you have the, the author of the ages is God Himself through the Holy Spirit, you know, utilizing, you know, about forty different writers to produce a book that has even Richard Dawkins will admit is one of the most beautiful books in the King, especially in the King James ever produced and everybody should read it because you'll learn what beautiful writing is all about. And so we have this this amazing book, this this collection of books actually, that tells the story of God, the story of humanity, and is the is the best selling book in the world, you know, even more than Girl Wash Your Face. So it's it's uh and it will not appear on the bestsellers, New York Times bestsellers list. But so books and the way the content of the gospel is transmitted through writing and through, uh, printing. Uh, and we know what the printing press, uh, did, you know, it was, it was declared to be the greatest, uh, you know, event in the uh, in millennium, the thousand years uh, leading up to the 20th century it was that was, that was the most significant event was, that was a printing press. So we're in a second revolution after the printing press, and that's the digital one. And, uh, and by the way, what's, what's wonderful is you can deliver uh, books to a printer in China or India by transmitting all of the data uh, through the Internet. So you've got the ability to then, you know, make edits, make changes to the printing process because of uh, of, of what we are experiencing now, in this technological revolution, uh, or to print the electronic version as well. So we are in an age unlike any other in the last 500 years and, uh, as again, to quote my dad, I think God is very interested. He's the supreme author, and like all authors, they want to know, hey, how's the book going? You know, how's my book doing, and who's reading it? And uh, and we could go on and on. I mean, the work's being done in Bible translation is, is extraordinary.
2: Stan, I, I'm kind of curious about just, like, this testimony that you gave last week. Um, yeah. Obviously, yeah. you know, this is something that's happening between U.S. and China, but— you're not going to get the largest economies in the world <laughs> at odds over something and have it not be mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. Um, intense spillover effects. And I didn't know what type of conversation or chatter you're seeing at this expo right now about what these tariffs might mean.
1: You know, it's, it, it, people are aware of it. And, and there have been a lot, of, a lot of stories about the, uh, the hearings and the publishers that were there. And so I think there's great hope I'm hopeful. I mean, I here's what I, my experience was. Morgan is that so? I, I along with Mark Schoenwald and and the uh, representative from the American uh, the Association of American Publishers, which is the counterpart to to my organization, the Christian Publishers Association. She was there, and representatives the next day from Penguin Random House were there. So we're really making a case for books as a as a class. And in trade, you have classes of products, and then a subclass of that is Bibles. So. So we presented to the U.S. Trade Representative, and then they had also on their committee they had representatives from from the State Department, the Treasury Department, uh, Department of Commerce, Small Business Administration, and they're all they're all millennials. These representatives they're, and but they 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 know what they're doing. They read. We had to upload our testimonies before we gave them, and then bring printed copies. They were they were informed. They asked really strong questions. And we got the sense from the trade representative and the committee that, that they were very interested. In the break afterwards, they wanted to know. They asked personal questions. Uh, Mark Schoenwald brought samples of Bibles that are printed in China. He brought, a, he brought one printed in the U.S. It was like there's no comparison in quality. It was funny. He showed that. And there were some other publishers that brought works that are being done there. There, there seemed to be a real receptivity to what we were saying and asking for this you know an exemption on behalf of books and and bibles,
2: what is the goal of the trade representatives? How are they supposed to weigh in, and who's where do their loyalties lie? i guess?
1: well, they're 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 representing uh, industries. so you could have metals. you could have like we have books, you could have someone in you know that's they're they're building you know their clothing or maybe it's other goods that are produced in China imported to the u s and then sold in stores or online here. So all these different groups are being represented. So our group representing publishing had a chance and they they're having these hearings for 2 weeks and it's my impression Morgan that the US trade representative then will will then make a recommendation to the administration regarding which if any products should be exempted from the tariff. And they have the right to do that and in fact the US has a history of exempting books and bibles from tariffs. It's kind of part of the fabric of, of America. So, and we believe that the administration will um, have a sensitivity yeah. to the fact that Bibles are included in this. In fact, Mark Schoenwald used a really good phrase that's been picked up by a lot of the news agencies. He called it a Bible tax. Now, we, t- we say tariff, but that's really what it is. And that was a phrase he used, and that was picked up by Bloomberg. They were in the room, and, and they reported on that, and others that, that picked that up. I think it's a it's a very uh, smart way to phrase it and one that may get the attention of the administration. We don't know, but uh, it's pretty simple. You know, it, it just kind of it says something. And so we we are we are hopeful. I won't say I'm confident, but we're hopeful that there will be a response and uh, that that these these items, these books and Bibles. And by the way, the American uh, the Associated American Publishers made a really compelling case for literacy and the place that books play in a nation's health as uh, as literacy goes, and especially for children uh, that we start reading out young. And a lot of what attracts kids to books is the way the book looks and feels and the features it has, the color and all of that. And those books, uh, so many of them are printed in China. So are we going to now have to raise prices? But the big issue is if all, let's say all of came to the U.S., there's, there's not the capacity here. And one publisher who, who represents a, a large children's book line, they said it would take us five years to get back to where we were. And then we don't even know if that would be enough time. Just, for, just, to, get, just to get the presses and printing, you know, printing companies here in the U.S. going.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting GraceEnoughPodcast dot
3: So, just a quick question: uh, Does a twenty five percent increase in tariffs, or a twenty five percent tariff, is it fair to say that if a Bible is uh, fifty dollars, it will go up twelve dollars and fifty cents, or is it more? Is the relationship more complicated than that?
1: It it is, Mark. And I, what happens is that's like a bottom line cost. So you now have this added to your 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 kind of your bottom line cost. And so it, it would probably be the minimum would be a 25% increase, but it could be more because there are other costs involved, especially if you have to, you know, um, you know, add that to the to the cost, but at least it would be that much. But the the other the other side would be if you try to source it elsewhere, then that cost goes up even more. And and again for a company like uh, a ministry like Biblica. That goes—that That's that takes right out of their bottom line. And so I think you would extrapolate that it would even be more costly in terms of whether it's a price increase or the number of Bibles a Biblica could produce to keep their, you know, their budget uh, on track.
2: Okay, I have a, a couple, like, just ignorant questions here. I know this is not a politics show, but I did want to ask just one more question about these trade representatives— It just seems like challenging to understand how the trade representatives are making their decisions or not, because I would imagine that the trade representatives in general would not be in favor of tariffs, period. So how are they even arriving at a calculus about what to lobby for being exempt or not? And is it just kind of like every time an administration wants to set forth a tariff, they know that they're not going to be able to get everything that they want. So they just have this kind of like big barter and negotiation strategy that happens uh, yeah that part is just confusing I th- I, to me
1: yeah no i think you No, i think that's a good understanding morgan my and again my understanding is that they for these two weeks last week and this week they'll hear from all these groups probably a 100 you know i mean maybe more but on our day there were seven different groups they call panels that represent a classification or class of products And so, uh, you just multiply it over two weeks. That's how many they're hearing. So, my sense is anytime a tariff is imposed, that they do have the opportunity then in our democratic process to hear from those industries, those categories of product that would be adversely affected, that their industry would be damaged. And because that's, you know, that's counterproductive then. And, And it's kind of like, what are the unintended consequences to a tariff? So, they'd have these hearings and then. They, obviously, you can't say well, will exclude them all. Well, that that's not going to work. So it's up to, it's up to these the, the U.S. trade representative and the committee that he uh, in this case that he has around him that are representative of various departments in uh, in our government are going to make that call. And whether it's you know I, I it probably by committee. So you're meeting together, you're going through. It's kind of like any process. I think you've got a, a pretty good understanding, and then make the recommendations. But then I think the final call is with the administration, what they want to do with that. So, okay.
2: Um, thanks for, thanks that, for clarifying that. So, it's
1: and, and it's probably political, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure. It's not, not just business, but I think there's some politics involved as well, obviously. We hope the administration, um, not known for a lot of detail, right? That they do get into the weeds on this one. And that's why, but the, the more clear the message, I think the better. And we tried to send that very clearly uh, in our testimony.
2: You had mentioned too that Bibles were a subcategory of a larger category of books. I, I wasn't, I wanted to clarify though, is that Bibles in particular are a subcategory or any like re- holy religious text would be considered?
1: They do, s- sub- right. They would say, yeah, it's religious texts okay. and th- you're correct. So it would include other holy holy books as well, right? But we didn't present on behalf. And I don't know that any of other religions uh, made a case for their text. I wasn't uh, didn't see the, the list of who else is presenting, but but if it helps everybody, that's fine. I think you know I think if the Bible angle or the Bible category is a way to lift the whole book category, I think that's fantastic. I mean, there's something in which we're called here to serve the common good. You know, one of the things when when you know Nehemiah was in exile, uh, you know, it's like okay, what can we do to serve Babylon? and to create the benefit for the whole country and i think there's a sense in which we've lost that as christians that really we're here not just for our own good and what we're doing but we're here to serve and to help people and and really and economically too not just in a sense of spiritually i think there's a there's a real noble cause that god has given us as christians and our you know our role in this in this world is to help you know and, and we see that of course in in other nations where we go and and for the you know whether it's in you know helping the poor and clean water, malaria whatever I mean but this is another way to do that to help so if we can raise and have books be also exempted, I say fantastic and if it was Bibles that does it, I would be so proud of that that we that we uh, you know that this book of, of God's book helps the entire book industry you know now maybe i'm dreaming maybe i'm overly optimistic but that's been my prayer quite honestly since i was there in washington is that the bible would be used to help the entire publishing industry to be exempted that would be something that would just give me great joy
2: when i have been at christian bookstores or more recently when i'm on bible gateway and i look down and i see so many translations there i'm wondering if you see a direct link between international trade and the, at least the English-language Bible industry that exists. And if we didn't have international trade, if there would be all these different types of Bibles, translations of the Bibles, or even a Bible industry, so to speak.
1: The international uh, market has certainly opened up. Um, you know, you remember the Arab God smuggler, you know, back in Mark, you probably do, uh, probably Brother Andrew. Andrew. It's like the big deal was to try to smuggle Bibles into these, you know, of course, communist countries, and and now the trade, uh, it, the, the globalization, it really falls under this whole category, of globalization, the ability, not just to move products, but people, you know, from one country to another across the globe in a matter of hours. And if you, all of you guys travel internationally, and I mean, the the world is is you know traveling, and people are communicating, and it's something that is a uh, has wonderful benefit. You know, there are challenges as well, but I think the Bible trade to be able to be exchanged and to move in different countries, I think is just wonderful. And again, I'm seeing it here at uh, in Chicago at Moody Bible Institute. All these different nations who are represented here and who are, uh, you know, negotiating to get the rights to everything from Bibles to, you know, commentaries to popular level books, kids' books, and all of that into their countries. And you mentioned English, you know, the, uh, the number of English speak, uh, speaking people outside the U.S. far exceeds the number inside the U.S. I mean, there are so many, and and out, or outside the English speaking world, so the U.K. and Australia and South Africa and all that. India alone has 300 million English speakers who read, and many of them in the middle class. Uh, in Sweden, 89% of of uh, people in Sweden speak English. So, so there's great opportunities to export uh, English books. Uh, two countries, and maybe put a different cover that appeals more to that culture, uh so there's that, but also and of course Bible's fit in that too, but then translation is such a key thing, getting into various countries that uh you know otherwise don't have it, and I think the Bible has led the way, and uh, you know i'm gonna I'm gonna jump here into this whole translation issue, but the what's happening with the green family and uh, every tribe, every nation, these ten translation agencies that are meeting every month. And they've streamlined and coordinated and used technology to accelerate the rate at which the Bible is being translated into the world's languages. And the prediction is by 2033, 99.996% of all heart languages, over 7,000, will have at least a portion of Scripture, and 95% will have the entire Bible. That is significant beyond I can even imagine, because as we know, once you start reading the Bible, then you want books to help you understand it. So then publishers who publish, you know, for Christians and, and uh, those that are wanting to understand, and what, what do I have a hold of here in this Christian life, and what about the Bible? So you know, where the Bible goes, so, you know, books follow. And I think that's an, that's an important thing to remember. And we're seeing that in Africa, the global South. There's a tremendous need. Most pastors have a Bible and maybe one book. So to bring books and resources in their language. Uh, and then, to be able to distribute freely in international trade, it's all part of that 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 highway, if you will, of getting books to, and Bibles to people and it's continuing to develop, including print on demand in different countries uh, there's a company called in- ingram Ingram's the largest dist- distributor of books in the world they're located in Nashville, and they're working on this super highway of getting goods both electronically but also physically from one point to another. But if you can imagine, if I'm a publisher in the U.S. and I want to publish a book that goes to India, I can ship it there. But it's easier and more economical if I send the files to a printer in India. They print it and then deliver it in much the same way books in the U.S. are are printed. Is they're, It's called print-on-demand, and you don't print it until somebody orders it. But you can also use that to print books in other countries using files that you have here, and it saves all that transportation cost. And you can scale it cheaper for other countries that uh, have a different wage and can't pay 20 bucks for a book that maybe can pay two. Well, if you can, you know, do it in a way that's economically feasible. And again, the international trade just helps that incredibly.
2: Well, thank you so much for this really robust discussion about globalization and Christian publishing. I'm sure there's even more threads to get down. And if you think that there's some country or some part of the world that The Christian publishing industry is in a particularly um, critical or surprising juncture, obviously— we at CT would be interested in knowing that as well, so this is something that we do care about. But I really appreciate you sharing all of this with us, Stan, and for listeners who have feedback about this, we invite you to share that on Twitter. We're at ctpodcast, or you can send us an email. We're at podcast at com. I want to remind everyone that this show is made possible by everyone who subscribes to Christianity Today magazine. Last week, our July-August issue came out in print we have a lot of stuff in there because it's actually a double issue, and Mark, I know you always have a chance to read over everything that's in the magazine, and we'll probably be talking about some of your favorite pieces in the next couple of weeks, but was there one that you were thinking of right now?
3: Well, one that popped as I was just reviewing the table of contents is titled, Don't Share It, Proclaim It, and it just reminded me of a incident of someone who was not familiar with the Christian world, came into a small group, and people were talking about sharing with one another, and... This person thought it meant like sharing food or sharing possessions. <laughs> Netflix it's, passwords. Yeah. No. It's such a cliche in our, or such a, you know, it's a word that has this specific meaning in our world. Sharing mm-hmm. means talking to another person. Anyway, the the, the, the the other thing I liked about the, the, the article was it's, there is something uh, proclame. Uh, I'm trying to th- create a word. Proclamatory? proclamatory there it is about the, the the good news it is good news it's something we should be very excited about and happy to share and talk to people like we talk to them about uh hey did you see uh Contreras hit a grand slam last night that sort of thing um obviously this person is saying you always have to do that sensitively but uh, uh the writer Elliot Clark was just saying you know we can be a little more enthusiastic about this thing that is actually the most incredible news in the history of the planet.
2: I like the idea of using a, a, a more action verb than just share. Yeah. No, with all due respect to share. Yeah. But proclaim is a great word for that. All right. If you want to become a subscriber to Christianity Today, you can do so by going to orderct.com dot com slash quick to listen. CT dot com slash quick to listen. And you will get our July-August issue, which is yellow and blue. It is very summer and appealing. You
3: have to wear sunglasses to look at the cover. It's so bright. It's You're great. You're not
2: wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments. And it's the time where everyone gets to share something that has brought them joy. Go ahead.
3: You know, I just uh, broke down and bought myself a new a bike for longer distances and went out with a friend last weekend for me, a long ride at this place of, at the stage of my, uh, fitness, but it was just great to get out, to be with him. It was a beautiful sunny day.
2: What did you bike? Like, was it like a trail or a park? We
3: actually biked from Glen Ellen to West Chicago, which is about 10 miles away to look at his uh, home he's going to be moving into. And then we, uh, stopped by his, uh, son and daughter-in-law's house who lives there as well. And then took a different route back, partly, uh, in the Chicago land readers listeners might not know that it has a tremendous bike path trails here that they've converted old railroad track trails to bike and hiking trails, and they're just all over the place. You can pretty much get anywhere like in DuPage County, where we're located, and counties around it. Ninety percent of the trip can be done on these trails, and then you have to do ten percent on surface streets, but it's really quite extraordinary.
2: All right, people can find you where
3: i Published something called the Galley Report. Uh, well, you can find it at christianitytodaycom slash Uh It's G-A-L-L-I. That's I pull, pull together a newsletter with links, and many people seem to enjoy it. And uh, I probably the other way they'll can find me is probably next year with that with that book about guys shaving their <laughs> face. You know.
2: so that's, but that won't be till next year. Obviously. <laughs> Okay, go ahead, Stan.
1: Well, I want to piggyback on what Mark said about proclaim. You know, I mentioned earlier that publish simply means to make public, but it's also can be translated proclaim and if you if you go to the old King James when the angels came to announce the birth of of Jesus, it said they publish glad tidings, so to publish to proclaim the message uh gives me joy but but being. Uh, having the privilege of giving it, and they call it, you testify, right? And we as Christians know that testify, testimony, that has a lot of meaning to it. So I was able to really proclaim, to testify in front of government officials, including this U.S. trade representative, who's an appointee of the administration, and really proclaim why the Bible is meaningful to people and why, uh, you know, this would, would hinder this spiritual nourishment for many, many people. And so I felt honored to do that, and I it did, it, it did give me great joy to be in that position. And I was also very impressed with the way this process is working, and I have great confidence that it will come to a conclusion that will be for God's purposes and for His glory.
2: I hope you also do something fun in Chicago while you're here.
1: This is a great city. You guys are in it. Now, we're downtown. Uh, you're in the suburbs, but I'm sure you love coming downtown, but it just sparkles. It's a beautiful city. Lots going for it, and I would encourage anybody who's looking for a vacation come here. It's there's lots to do, and uh yeah. it's just absolutely best city. I think uh, I would I would put above New York too. And well, just now you know why I feel to get superior
2: to my coworkers since I live there and they don't. <laughs> Great there you go. of pride. There you
3: go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She flaunts it too.
2: Absolutely, we're mere yeah.
3: suburbanites.
2: Absolutely, <laughs> those people. <laughs> Um, Stan, are you on social media? Do you have a website that you want people to check out?
1: Well, let me direct them to the the association that I lead, and it's ecpa.org. Real simple. And you'll be able to get a little bit of a, a feel for some of the events we produce, as well as some of the issues that we're involved with. And uh, just go there. And I'm, I'm again, happy that uh, you're bringing attention to the world of Christian publishing. Appreciate that.
2: Yeah, like I mentioned a bazillion of times when Mark Taylor was on our show earlier this year, that was actually one of our most listened to episodes. So I feel like a lot of people are going to be excited to hear this one as well. Great. My Great. precious moment this week is talking about a book that I read. Actually, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Listen to, audio book. It's called Remains of the Day. It's by Kazuo Ishiguro. And he also wrote another book, called Never Let Me Go, which was kind of dystopian. And to be honest, I thought it was going to be, this other book was also going to have this dystopian flair. I knew nothing about it. It was just an audio book that was available and I didn't have to wait in the hold line for it. But it's not about that at all. It is about an English butler who is going on a motoring trip, which is what he calls it. And it was actually great because I was also going on a road trip at the same time. And so I enjoyed our parallel paths. The book was a lot different than I thought it was going to be. I don't really want to give it away to people because I was so kind of surprised by it. But I really liked how the author drew out the story and surprised the listener or reader along the way. I thought it was really well done. So even if you think you will fall asleep listening to an English butler talk about his life, you won't. And you'll find it pretty interesting. And there's lots of good food for thought there as well people can find me on Twitter. I'm at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. That is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. This podcast is produced by myself and Cray Allred. The music is by Sweeps. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you want to listen to podcasts. And for everyone who rates and reviews the show on Apple Podcasts, we do read what you have to say, and we really appreciate that. You can also, again, email us at podcast at christianitytoday.com if you have thoughts or questions about something specifically that happened on a particular episode, you can support the show by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen. And we will see you all next week. Bye.